welcome to the Tech Policy Podcast. I'm Evan Schwarzschauer, your host. On today's show, the Institute for Justice and a startup cab company sue the city of Little Rock, Arkansas for creating an unconstitutional monopoly in the local taxi industry. Joining me to discuss the case is an attorney for the Institute for Justice, Allison Daniel. Allison, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me on. So, Allison, uh, usually when we talk about uh, issues of cab companies getting sued, we're talking about companies like Uber and Lyft, but this case really stands out because it's actually a startup cab company that just wanted to compete with the local monopoly and ran into a lot of problems. So give us an overview of the case and why uh, your organization decided to sue. Sure. Uh, like you said, it's it's kind of a classic taxi case rather than um, the modern Uber and Lyft being challenged by these industry groups. It's a, an entrepreneur who simply wanted to break off from the one established company in Little Rock, Arkansas, and start his own company um, because he thought he could do it better, and he wanted more flexibility, and he also wanted to earn more money. Um, so our client, Ken Leininger, he, in April of last year, uh, bought one car and decided to start his own company, Ken's Cab. And then um, he actually decided to go ahead and buy two more cars because he found that it would, it would be fairly profitable to just do that with the leases and, and how he could hire employees. So he started this company, Ken's Cab, with three cabs, and then he went to the city to get permits for these cabs, and then he found out that the city has a monopoly on taxi services in Little Rock. So there's only one company, and it's illegal to start a second one. And Ken didn't know what to do exactly. He um, was denied by the Fleet Services Department, the Little Rock um, department that manages taxi permitting. And then he appealed to the city's board of directors, which is kind of like their council. Um, and then they denied him. And even though they admitted that there's a monopoly in the city, they still said, um, this, this is our law here, then you, you, know, you can't operate. It's only one company that's the Yellow Cab Company. Well, that's that's pretty incredible that in the proceeding they acknowledged it was a monopoly because generally we consider monopolies to be bad things. Uh, that's why we have antitrust laws and at least at the federal level, the Department of Justice deals with that type of thing. So I can imagine the, the proceeding going like, well, you got us. It's a monopoly, but too bad we're not going to do anything about it. <laughs> right. And we have a, a fantastic video for the case launch where we actually use uh, that um, director's clip where she says, this, this is a monopoly, right, to the city attorney who, you know, <laughs> off, off camera admits, yeah, this, this is what we have here. And actually, she was in favor of, of us, of uh, Ken getting his permits, but still, it was unanimous that he was denied. Really? So, so, so did Ken not know that this was the situation before he wanted to start his company? Was this, basically, he was kind of surprised and caught off guard that when he wanted to start the company, it was this difficult? Right. He was completely unaware. Um, he had worked for the company, the Yellow Cab Company, Greater Little Rock Transportation Services, for eight years. And he did not. He knew that it was the only company, cab company in the Little Rock area, but did not know that there was a, mon a monopoly on the services there. And the monopoly is a product of the ordinance, which there's um, kind of two subsections in this, in this ordinance that allow the city to, one, have the competitor or the you know the established taxi company say whether or not it will affect their business, which obviously a competitor will affect the monopoly company's business. Right. And two, whether there's a public convenience and necessity for another taxi service, which the city can just 
arbitrarily declare. It's not up to consumers. It's the city saying, well, I don't think as nine board members, we need another taxi service and therefore we don't have one. So just to be clear, the, the purpose of antitrust law in general is to protect consumers from monopolies. In this case, you have a law that is designed to protect the monopoly from competition. I mean, that's pretty incredible. And then furthermore, usually when regulators are supposed to decide whether things are helpful or good for consumers, they're supposed to do cost-benefit analysis. They're supposed to analyze the state of affairs and say, how are things going? But from what you're saying, they basically just decided, nah, we don't need this. Right, exactly. And it it was a discussion among the members of the board without any evidence submitted. And um, I mean, Ken did as best as he could with, he had uh, counsel at the time before IJ took the case. And um, he had testimonies because he thought that public convenience and necessity meant, you know, people need this. <laughs> and uh, so what we're actually bringing it under is a clause under the Arkansas Constitution, the anti-monopoly clause, where it actually spells out, like you said, with antitrust, um, that monopolies are prohibited and shall not be allowed. It's very explicit. And we have some great precedent that the, the Arkansas Supreme Court has already said this. So the city is simply defying the Arkansas Supreme Court and the Arkansas Constitution. And how long has this Little Rock law been on the books, uh, basically in violation of the state constitution, at least as IJ says uh, that, that it is? Well, it's actually been on the books um, for a little over a decade, and Little Rock had uh, two companies at one time. So um, it's not, there wasn't a monopoly before. And then when the owner of the Yellow Cab Company came in, he merged, um, I believe it was Checker Cab and then maybe Black and White, or maybe it was already a Yellow Cab, um, but, and then created one company. So that's when the monopoly took hold and then was enforced. And when they merged, that wasn't necessarily illegal or under the Little Rock law. Is it more about monopolies can't be bad for consumers or is it just illegal to have a monopoly at all? So the merger itself should never have happened. Um, well, I guess technically the, the merger itself should not have happened. Um, I mean, that gets into the kind of the libertarian thoughts right. on antitrust, right? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I guess that's more of a question of whether you think that having one provider is necessarily always bad. I mean, if it's a great right. provider and everyone loves it. And that, that brings me to another question. Do you have a sense of the satisfaction in Little Rock with the monopoly? I mean, are people happy with it? Uh, is the service good? Or was Ken really trying to exploit a dissatisfaction in the city by creating his company? Yeah, exactly. Ken started his company because he thought he could offer a better service. And one of the um, points he emphasizes is that he can stay in touch with the customer as he's coming to get them. I mean, Yellow Cab, they have a dispatch, and then um, apparently people have been left on the side of the road and they've been waiting for hours for this cab. They get in cabs that are, you know, not exactly up to Ken's standards, which he has um, hybrid Toyota um, Priuses that are very clean and, and uh, you know, late model Toyota Priuses. So it's something that he can offer that's different and, um, and that, that was definitely needed. Like he's actually not allowed to operate right now in the city of Little Rock simply because this lawsuit is ongoing and, you know, there's no injunction against the government enforcement of it. He'll, you know, he'll be fined. And, um, 
he is still making money outside in the greater Little Rock area. So, you know, tri longer trips, of course, and, and uh, trips in North Little Rock. So if he has three cabs and he's able to keep his business going, I mean, think about if he had the major population of Little Rock, um, it, it's just uh, it's a consumer demand that is actually being met by Uber in, um, right now rather than than Ken. Oh, so that that's an interesting question. So I was curious if Uber and Lyft or one or the other do currently operate in Little Rock. I'm not sure if Lyft does, but I know Uber does. Um, and the state actually preempted regulation of Uber and Lyft by passing a law, um, I believe it was either last year or the year before, regulating transportation network service companies. So they classify them differently than taxicab companies. And that's what has prevented the city of Little Rock from, you know, banning Uber or Lyft because the state, you know, legislature already said, hey, you can't regulate transportation network service companies. We're already doing that. Um, and they can operate. And we, when I actually, when we went to um, visit our local council in Little Rock and Ken, um, it was a rainy Little Rock day and we had to, we weren't going to take the competition, so we did take an Uber and the driver was actually a former yellow cab driver. And he was saying he could make more money in Uber, um, and that's what he did. He, you know, saved up money and, and got a car, and then that's how he's able to operate. So it, it was different for Ken, though, because he is actually able – he tried to do Uber, um, and he didn't have the meters in his car like he does the taxi cab, but uh, he could – he just made more money um, being his own businessman and, and entrepreneur. And he, he was an um, over-the-road truck driver and, like I said, a taxi driver for eight years. So he knew the market and he knows his customers and he has a very loyal customer base. So um, when we were actually going to do the video shoot in Little Rock, uh, we had um, one of his longtime customers come out to the shoot and, um, and you know, we got some footage of, of him going around the town. And she was saying that she can't drive and Ken has saved her life on many occasions. And that's it's kind of um, how, I mean, Little Rock is kind of a southern town. And once you have a loyal customer base, they continue to call you. And that's that's who Ken has become. It's, it's, he's their, their loyal driver. Yeah, whereas Uber can't really offer a personal touch. Uh, he's trying to differentiate himself in the marketplace. Yeah, and exactly. we've seen this story so many times where uh, Uber operates illegally in a city. And in this case, that's not that's not what happened because you said the state cleared the way. But even if the state hadn't cleared the way and Little Rock had a law against Uber, Uber has done this thing a lot where they show up, they just start gaining a lot of customers and then they ask for forgiveness rather than permission. And that's fine. And many libertarians and capitalists might think that's great. It's kind of a form of civil disobedience. But the problem is for someone like Ken, he can't afford to do that. Whereas, you know, Uber's paying $200,000 euro fines in Amsterdam every time they get caught because they don't care because they're a $50 billion company. Ken cannot afford to pay fines. So he has to wait until this legal process ends to, to get to to compete. And this is kind of an amazing story of a individual trying to compete with the big guy, Uber, and the big taxi monopoly. This is exactly what we should want. This is ideal. Uh, even proponents of Uber had said, hey, if the cab companies want to innovate and they want to compete with us, great. I mean, this is really unfortunate that the city is preventing this from happening. And They've argued that similar policies have been upheld in Atlanta, and the city is saying this is nothing unusual, that many cities have these types of monopolies, and it's totally fine. Why is the attorney wrong? 
Well, he's wrong because of the explicit nature of the Arkansas Constitution and because of the precedent that is already established. And this is this this provision is not unique. Eighteen other states have anti-monopoly provisions, and actually, um, the Goldwater Institute is is arguing one in Georgia. Um, you know, we plan to continue to argue anti-monopoly when we when there is a monopoly established by the government in other cities. Um, and like you said about the fines. Last year, so this has been going on for more than a year now, Ken um, started his company in April, and he was actually fined in May, and that is when he decided that, you know, he can't actually operate in Little Rock because if they threaten fines and they threaten to impound his vehicle, and then he already paid the application fee, and due to the ordinance and the requirements um, and the fact that he wanted his application to be approved, he had to comply with the rest of them, which we don't challenge and are not challenging, but um, they are kind of uh, burdensome to a small entrepreneur just trying to get going. And you have to have a location in the city of Little Rock, so he had to rent a place. You have to have 24-7 dispatch, so you're working all the time. I mean, he has two other employees, um, so if they're not answering the phone, then that's, they're not in compliance with the ordinance. So it's it's very costly, even if you're not threatened with fines. And that's not even uh, considering the business side of things. So Right. Um, and, and, and beyond the monopoly provision, you're also arguing that this violates a couple other things. Um, the fact that the city is preventing him from earning a living, uh, and that also equality before the law, that, that Ken is subject to different rules than the existing company. Yeah, precisely. We're, we, have, we have a due process challenge and an equal protection challenge. Um, and just as you said, the due process challenge is that the city did not give him due process when they denied his application. And he, Ken, does have a right to earn an honest living and as a taxi driver. And in the equal protection challenge, you can't distinguish between two companies simply because one came first. And that's exactly what, if you watch the, uh, it's, it's a very dull meeting, so I wouldn't suggest it, but <laughs> you can just kind of watch public choice theory play out when you see uh, the yellow cab company owner argue to the city that he deserves this protection because of all the investment that he already uh, put into his cabs and his company and um, how, you know, he should just be protected. So that's why um, we're arguing that, that, you know, Ken deserves his right to, to try. Yeah, at least, right? And then, yeah. so is there a broader significance to this case? Um, if Ken wins, does that mean something for other cab companies throughout Arkansas or in other states? Or even if it doesn't apply to other jurisdictions, do you see this as paving the way for similar lawsuits and kind of setting a precedent that might be tried elsewhere? Right, yeah, exactly. I mean, it does revive the precedent in Arkansas. And it also um, establishes that the anti-monopoly clause actually does still mean something. It's not just an antiquated uh, railroad uh, kind of clause. <laughs> um, and also it shows that states can protect liberty better than the federal government because a challenge like this was brought in the Eighth Circuit and the government sided with the established taxi companies. So, um, Arkansas, we couldn't we couldn't actually bring this case in the circuit because it was foreclosed by that case, and um, that's why we're using this, you know, not exactly unique, but um, this provision that actually protects further than uh, than we could under the federal constitution. And it's interesting you bring up the federal government because at Tech Freedom we've talked about how 
agencies like the Federal Trade Commission, while they are a regulator, they could actually play a deregulatory role. The Federal Trade Commission is supposed to do competition advocacy, or at least it used to, and it would go around and identify barriers like this to competition. And even if they can't preempt them, they could either sue or call attention to it just to say, hey, we have a big bully pulpit. We have the power of, of generating media attention. And the Federal Trade Commission could have made a big deal about the Little Rock in, uh, problem. But unfortunately, they're too focused on bringing actions against Google, Amazon, and Apple for whatever reason. And they should be doing more advocacy like this. And it shouldn't take a lawsuit in every single city to fix this problem. But you know, unfortunately, they don't seem terribly interested in that. Well, uh, yeah, and we're we're um, we're not relying on on um, you know the federal antitrust provisions and in federal agencies it's kind of a um, well two pronged approach really because in some cases we are um, but going state to state and city to city that's that's not beyond the Institute for Justice anymore I mean we um, it's it's like we did in I mean this is a, a kind of an off topic case but relevant in the sense that. It's the next step in, in the Kilo decision, um, the eminent domain decision out of Connecticut, Kilo versus City of New London. Um, the Supreme Court said that the city has a right to take your property, and IJ went state to state changing their laws, um, legislature to legislature, and 44 states changed their laws. Um, well, actually, 47, and the um, 44 made very good changes that protect the property owner. But like this, like economic liberty, um, it's it's an uphill battle. But if we can find these particular cases state to state, it it will apply to other entrepreneurs and the kind of lay the groundwork for um, precedent protecting the right to earn, earn an honest living. And that's what we're doing with our um, our hair braiding litigation, um, which we've said that overburdensome uh, occupational regulations are are stopping people from uh, earning a living and you know escaping poverty and practicing their craft so um, absolutely yeah uh, for those who are unfamiliar with the Institute for Justice's work please check it out um, the, the whole uh, kerfuffle over civil asset forfeiture in Philadelphia uh, the Institute for Justice was behind that lawsuit and they've been doing amazing work across the country um, and you guys have a publication IJ review correct uh, no, we have the, um, that's, <laughs> that's actually a separate organization, but it's, um, we have our, our newsletter, The Law and Liberty, okay. and we also have, well, IJ.org um, has all of our, our recent cases, and also the podcast, um, Short Circuit, is, uh, is a nice, um, brief overview of the decisions that were in federal court that week. Okay, great. Well, listeners, check all that stuff out. And uh, that's it for today's show. My guest has been Allison Daniel, attorney for the Institute for Justice. Allison, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Uh, let us know what you think of the show uh, on Twitter at Tech Freedom or on Facebook.com slash Tech Freedom. If you're not on social media, go ahead and send us an email at media at techfreedom.org. Find this podcast in the iTunes store or on your favorite podcast app. Please leave us a review because it will help others find the show. Thank you for listening. Tech Policy Podcast is produced and distributed by Tech Freedom, a nonpartisan nonprofit think tank in Washington, D.C. To learn more about our work, make a tax deductible donation, or find other episodes, find us online at techfreedom.org.